Louisa was tired of people asking about her husband. She stared at him from across the room. He was chatting with Carlos, the owner of this lovely mansion on Takendama Falls. Everyone thought they were the perfect couple, but in truth, Oscar made Louisa sick. She didn't even want to be here tonight. She just wanted to go home. Oscar, she hissed, approaching him and grabbing his arm forcefully. Before he could protest, she dragged him toward the balcony. Louisa prepared herself for the confrontation. But just as she stepped onto the balcony, Oscar locked the door behind her, a malicious smile on his face. With no one to hear her, Louisa screamed in frustration at the misty sky. But something echoed back. A voice told her that it understood how she felt. As Louisa looked around the balcony in confusion, the voice told her to relax. There was something she had to do, it said. Louisa nodded. Oscar had to die. Louisa pounded on the door as Oscar watched her, remorse on his face. He came over to let her back in. As Oscar made to embrace Louisa, she stepped backward, closer to the ledge. The voices urged her on. Closer. Closer. Louisa heard the voice's insidious intent. It wasn't one voice, but hundreds. At the ledge, Louisa looked into Oscar's eyes. He might have still loved her. But as she pushed him off the balcony, all she saw in his eyes was fear. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the eerie Hotel Del Salto, situated on the breathtaking Takendama Falls, just an hour southwest of Bogota, Colombia, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as podcasts, other podcasts, on your favorite podcast directory. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, on Twitter, at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. Many of you have asked how you can support Haunted Places. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. The cliff upon which the Hotel del Salto rests is long-rooted in myth and legend. Neighboring the stunning Takendama Falls, with its 515-foot drop-off overlooking the Bogota River in Colombia, the spot was believed by the local Muisca people to be where the gods had once stood to create and destroy. Suicides were common among the Muisca during the Spanish colonization, with the cliff serving as a place for them to set themselves free from slavery. It wasn't until 1923 
the developers took advantage of the tranquility and beauty of the space. They first built a train station that was later converted into five stories of beautiful French architecture as the private residence of wealthy architect Carlos Arturo Tapias. The mansion served as a hotspot for the local elite to socialize with a view. In the years that followed, it was converted into a hotel with plans to further renovate the structure to house more guests in the 1950s. After plans tanked, the hotel carried on until finally shutting down in the 90s, sitting abandoned for two decades. Since 2011, the space has been renovated and was made into a museum in 2013. Now open to the public, tourists from all over the world come to explore for themselves and find out who are the ghosts of the Hotel de Salto. As Gacha stood on the edge of Tekendama and prepared to end his life, he thought back on the circumstances that had brought him here. It all began with a stranger, a stranger from a northern tribe that came one day to warn the tribe that a great danger was coming, a danger that had killed and enslaved thousands of men and women from tribes all throughout the land. No one believed him. They didn't want to listen. But Gancha's uncle Susa, who was the leader of the tribe, silenced those who would not hear the stranger. The stranger spoke of a foreigner who possessed the power of the gods. His weapons burned hot with the fire of the sun. He did not sleep or eat. His men stood as tall as trees and killed without mercy. They crept in during the night with the moon and slaughtered entire tribes of men, enslaving the women and children to an eternity of misery. The stranger had been spared to send a message to tell the tribes that the foreigner only wanted one thing, gold. He was looking for El Dorado. Anyone who got in his way would die. This was a warning. There was so much anger and shouting Gotcha thought it would come to blood. At the same time, there was fear. People were praying to the gods to save them. Some just sat, wide-eyed, saying nothing. Gotcha's uncle Susa spoke. When Chipchachum flooded our lands and tried to end us, we did not surrender. We did not accept our fate and try to live our lives differently because of what had happened to us. We are a strong people a proud people. We prayed to Bochica to be merciful, to help us. When Bochica used his golden staff to make Tekendama and drain our lands of the flood, we worshipped him. Let his act guide us. When there seems to be no way out, let us create a way. When Susa was finished, the men of the tribe gathered around to listen to his plan. Gacha snuck away to Tekendama. He needed to think. Gacha looked out at Tekendama and prayed for Bochica to appear. He heard noises and felt his heart lift. But they were not coming from Tekendama. They were far off in the distance. Gacha followed the sound. 
Gotcha saw the fires before he saw the men. The stranger had not lied. There were more men than any tribe Gotcha had ever seen. They were everywhere, standing as tall as trees and fighting with ferocity, even though they were only practicing. The weapons gleamed in the firelight. It was the magic of the gods. Gotcha had to warn his tribe. He had to get to his uncle before it was too late. But as he arrived back at their settlement, he knew something was wrong. All was silent. Gotcha crept to his uncle's home. He peeked inside. The foreigner was there with five of his men. He was tall, taller than his men, with strong arms and long legs. His eyes were dark, and they gleamed with arrogance. He was angry, yelling about El Dorado. He wanted to know where it was, otherwise the tribe would suffer. One member of the tribe stood to protest against the foreigner's tirade and disrespect of their chief. With inhuman speed, the foreigner drew his weapon. In a single fluid motion, he slit the man's throat. The blood spilled out like water and coated the floor in a thick red river. As the life drained from the man's eyes, Sousa raised a calm hand to stop the foreigner. He would take him to El Dorado, at the base of Tekendama. The foreigner smirked with satisfaction. Gotcha watched from the shadows as they headed out of the settlement. Gotcha followed them to the waterfall, careful not to be seen. But he caught his uncle's eye as he approached the edge of Tekendama. He beckoned Gotcha to come forward from the shadows. They stood together as a tribe on the cliff and waited for Susa to speak. He whispered, low enough for only the tribe to hear, that Bochica would help them. They would fly away from Tekendama like birds to a new paradise. They had to trust in Bochica. Chibchachum would curse the foreigners. The foreigner was growing impatient. Susa held up a hand and pointed below. There was no El Dorado, he said with a sly smile. Only hell for the foreigner. Susa stepped back toward the edge. The tribe would never be taken prisoner. They would not perish at the hands of this foe. Gotcha understood what he was going to do, and it frightened him. Suddenly, Susa leaned backward and disappeared over the edge. The blood drained from the foreigner's face. The tribe followed Susa, sailing over the edge and disappearing into the darkness below. By the time the foreigner regained his composure, there were only a few people remaining. He ordered his men to seize them. Anger burned black in his eyes. Gotcha would not be taken. He shook off the hands of his would-be captors and ran toward the edge, leaping into the air. As he fell, Gotcha prayed to Bochica. He wished for wings to fly away. Instead, the very last thing Gotcha saw was the foreigner, his black, hateful eyes staring down at him, damning his soul to eternal unrest. Bochica could not save them, for he had no power anymore. 
This was the new God, and he was not merciful. It's said that the spirits of the Muisca people, who jumped to their deaths to escape the slavery of the Spanish colonizers, haunt the cliffside of Tecendama to this day seeking revenge for the wrong committed against them by preying on the weak souls of visitors. If you should stand by the cliffside and hear a whispering voice tempting you down to the river, resist. If you feel a rush of melancholy overwhelm you and draw you near the edge, remember the good in the world. For the fate that awaits you, should you join them, is worse than any hell you can imagine. Let's take a short break. I've got a recommendation for you. Now, back to the story. Every night, when the mist set in around Tegendama, the voices started for Miguel. They whispered to him from beneath the balcony of the Hotel del Salto. They wanted blood. The groundskeeper warned Miguel when they first opened the hotel in 1928 that they should be careful, lest they wake the spirits of the Muisca people who jumped over the falls to escape the Spanish colonizers. Miguel used to think the groundskeeper was lying, but ever since he first heard the voices, he'd started to believe. He wasn't sure what was scarier, the idea that there were ghosts talking to him or the thought that he was going mad. Miguel and his partner Rafael had been so naive in the beginning. They'd had big plans. They were going to run the most famous hotel in all of Bogota. All five beautiful floors would be filled to the brim with guests, rich guests people from all over Colombia, not just Bogota, maybe even foreigners. They'd spend the day gazing at the breathtaking Tecendama, and the night, partying until the sun came up. Then they'd do it all over again. Miguel and Rafael thought they were so clever and shrewd. They would be rich and famous. Only they didn't anticipate how things could get out of control. On the first night, people partied like mad. There was no end in sight. Miguel felt so tired. He snuck away to his room. Drink in hand, he went out to the balcony to get some fresh air. Then, he heard whispers. He thought he'd had too much to drink, or that he was sleep-deprived. He blamed it on the wind and taken Dhamma. It happened the next night, and the night after that, and every night from then on. First, it was just sounds, but then it became words. The voices were gentle at first. They knew his name. Miguel, they chanted, soothing him into a state of calm. They told him that they sympathized with his stress. They told him that he should rest they could help him rest. He ignored them, or at least he tried to. It wasn't hard at first. He just stuck with the party, stayed away from the balcony. 
But when he went to sleep, he could hear them. The more Miguel ignored them, the louder they became. And they were angry, too. They demanded blood. Revenge, they chanted. A thousand shouting voices mixed together in one insidious whisper. He had to choose, they said. They would have their blood. Miguel could decide if it would be his or someone else's. Miguel tried to fight them as they wormed their way into his head. But they were so strong, he was so weak. He couldn't resist the sense of calm that came over him as he set out on his mission. Miguel waited until everyone had had enough to drink. He whispered into the ear of a man who had a reputation for jealousy and violence. But it wasn't his voice that escaped his lips. It was theirs. The fighting men crashed out onto the balcony outside the bar. Miguel watched calmly as they reached the edge. The instigator's eyes glinted in the moonlight like two black stones. He hugged the other man to him and jumped backward over the edge of the balcony, down to the river, down to join the voices far, far below. Miguel felt their hold loosen on his mind. They were pleased. He was free. But as the sun set the next night, they returned. Miguel complained. He thought he was done. They silenced him quickly. And as they burrowed into his brain once again, Miguel did not fight. It was no use. Miguel whispered into the ears of lonely young women, convincing them to jump over the edge. He forced angry men to fight and fall. Women and men fought and pushed each other into the waters. Their screams were cemented in Miguel's brain. They haunted his waking hours, until the voices finally took over as the sun set and the moon rose over Takendama Falls. Finally, the voices turned inward on Miguel. The body count had risen so high that the hotel had garnered a reputation. Rumors spread, and guests stopped coming. The authorities were investigating him. The hotel would go bankrupt soon. The last thought that Miguel had before the voices took over for good was that they would never rest. This would not end with Miguel. Miguel stood at the edge of the balcony. He sighed deeply. He took one last look at Takendama. The mist had already settled in, obscuring the moon and the stars. He turned around to face his beloved hotel. He closed his eyes. Then, something cut through the whispers. Miguel ignored it. He stepped off the balcony, but something caught him. It was Raphael. He was pulling him up. Miguel felt his head clear as Raphael put him in a car headed to the Bogota Asylum. As they left the property, he was actually free. The voices were gone. He actually started laughing. He cackled into the open air as the car pulled away from the hell that was the Hotel del Salto. 
Raphael watched with concern etched on his face. Miguel had truly lost his mind. An unease washed over him as he went up to his room that night. He walked out onto the balcony and shivered. It was a warm night, but thoughts of Miguel frightened him. He looked at Tegendama and prayed Miguel would be okay. Raphael looked around him. Someone had said his name. He looked around, checking the balcony below him. No one. A voice nagged him, forcing him to lean farther over the balcony edge. He lost his balance. The voice from below calmed him as he fell down to the river. Jose heard footsteps again, coming from the first floor of the mansion. He had always hated the first floor, ever since he took the caretaker job at the abandoned Hotel del Salto almost six years ago. He pondered whether he should go check it out for himself, or if he should let one of the new guys take it. He'd already lost five guys in the past few months, thanks to the first floor. Jose decided to check it out himself. Jose shined his flashlight around the dark interior. Nothing. He should have known better. But he had to check out every little noise, every bump and scrape and footstep, every whisper. So far, Jose had been lucky. No one had broken into the mansion. He turned his back on the room and made his way back up the stairs. Jose stopped. He saw something out of the corner of his eye. A shadow. He silently prayed it wasn't the shadow man. Jose remembered the first time he saw the shadow man, the malevolent spirit that haunted the first floor of the abandoned Hotel del Salto. He had only been working at the hotel for a year. Jose was tending to the rabbits that he kept in cages on the first floor, when suddenly he felt cold all over. All of the happiness drained from his soul. Jose saw the shadow of a man. A headless man. The shadow man reached out to grab at Jose's throat. Jose had been so frightened that he dropped the bag of rabbit feet and scrambled up the stairs without looking back. Jose snapped back to the present. He could feel something standing just behind him. He felt cold all over. He waited. He needed to gain back his composure. Dark spirits, evil spirits, attached themselves to negative emotions. Jose thought of Jesus and Mary. He touched the rosary in his pocket. But before Jose could finish his prayer, he felt the shadow man latch onto his fear. He tried to move his feet, but he was rooted to the spot. He tried to scream, but nothing came out. Suddenly, Jose heard his name being called. It was one of his guys. The moment he appeared at the top of the staircase, Jose felt the evil spirit retreat 
into the shadows. He was safe. Jose tried to steady his breath as he made his way up the rest of the stairs to where the other worker, Mateo, was standing. Mateo informed Jose that there was a film crew outside asking for permission to enter the mansion and check for spiritual activity. Jose narrowed his eyes and looked out the window at the van parked in front of the mansion. There were three men and two women wearing surgical masks. Jose greeted the crew and asked what they wanted. One woman spoke up and explained that they were paranormal researchers interested in investigating some of the claims of ghosts haunting the mansion. They would make it worth his while, she said. She produced 200,000 pesos and informed Jose that they would double it if they needed to stay overnight. Jose contemplated what to do. The money was a quarter of his monthly salary, and they seemed quite determined. He figured if he denied them, they would only hurt themselves trying to break in later. Finally, he agreed. As Jose led them inside the main floor, they asked him questions about the paranormal activity he had experienced. Jose didn't understand. Ghosts, they said. They were curious about the stories Jose had heard, or about anything he had experienced. Jose hesitated as he glanced at the camera. He didn't want to be filmed. The lead woman motioned for the cameraman to turn it off. Jose decided to explain the spirits as he guided them around the house. He started at the top floor, where he had met the spirit of a Muisca woman. He explained that she had presented herself as gentle and benevolent. The crew didn't seem interested, though they left a small recording device on the windowsill near one of the crucifixes Jose had hung around the mansion. On the next floor below, Jose explained that the balcony was haunted by the spirit of a depressed man who had taken his own life. Jose noticed one of the crew members leaning out over the balcony, as if in a trance. Jose warned him to be careful. He shook his head as to snap out of it. The lead woman eagerly placed two recording devices on the balcony as Jose explained that the spirits of the Muisca people, who jumped to their deaths to escape the Spanish, often tried to lure people over the edge to join them. Back on the main floor, Jose explained that several bar fights led to multiple deaths over the balcony. The ghosts of several rowdy men haunted the area and enjoyed nudging the employees. There was only one spirit left, and Jose had no desire to share it with them. But he remembered the 200,000 pesos and mustered up his courage to lead them down to the first floor. He told the story quickly, his eyes darting around the room, praying silently in his head that the spirit wouldn't make another appearance. Where did it come from? One of the cameramen asked. It was a spirit, just like all the others. At least, that was what Jose wanted to believe. He couldn't entertain the idea of the alternative, that it was something darker, inhuman. A chill went down his spine. He ignored it, and offered the story he had come to believe was the Shadow Man's origin. The two men who converted the mansion into a hotel back in the 1920s 
were rumored to have been driven mad by the spirits of the Muisca, calling up to their private balconies. The first man had been sent to a mental hospital, and the second died of suicide soon after. Jose believed the spirit of the depressed man on the balcony was the second man. The first man came back to the mansion after claiming he was cured of his insanity and apparently slit his own throat on the first floor balcony that same night. Jose assumed the shadow man was the first hotel owner, given the similarities of the slit throat and headlessness. What he didn't mention was that he was unlike all the other spirits. He didn't appear in regular human form like the others. He was the only malicious spirit, and the only spirit that caused a physical reaction in humans. Jose left the crew as they prepared to film around the mansion and check on their recording devices. As the sun began to set, the crew found him again on the main floor. They were excited, with big smiles plastered on their faces. They produced one of their recording devices and played it for Jose. He heard whispers and eerie music. Jose asked where it had come from. The first floor, they said. They jumped up and down and hugged each other. Jose didn't understand why they were so excited, but he didn't mind. They paid him another 200,000 pesos to stay overnight. Jose watched nervously as they took turns going down to the first floor. Each time, they came back upstairs with frowns on their faces and fear in their eyes. Nothing happened, but they seemed to be both afraid and upset that nothing had happened. Jose wasn't surprised. The shadow man wanted nothing to do with these people. Jose thought of telling them that spirits weren't like animals in the zoo. They weren't here for entertainment. But then, something terrible happened. Here's something so good, it's scary. Now, let's get back to the story. Jose heard several screams. The group ran upstairs with faces white as sheets. They couldn't talk. Jose asked what had happened, but they didn't respond. When they finally were able to speak again, they said they didn't want to tell him what had happened. They promised to send him video footage of what they found, but they left immediately after and never came back. Jose knew it was the Shadow Man. He might have gotten to that TV crew, but he wouldn't get to Jose. Not again. Jose had Jesus on his side. He reminded himself of this as he went downstairs to check that the crew hadn't left anything behind. Jose thought of Jesus and Mary as the beam of his flashlight wandered around the dark room. Seeing nothing, Jose headed for the stairs. He spun around, shining his flashlight around the room. Movement caught his eye. It was the crucifix in the corner. It was shaking. Jose watched in horror as it split before his eyes and crashed to the floor. He gasped, shining his flashlight at the splintered pieces on the floor. Jose closed his eyes and began to pray. 
He blindly felt his way back to the staircase. He wasn't strong enough to confront the Shadow Man twice in one day. His heart felt weak with fear. Jose tried to ignore the spirit, interfering with his prayers to God. His fear was driving him now. He needed to get away. He didn't want to think the word that was pulsing through his mind. Demon. Jose became frantic, shining his flashlight around the room in search of the stairs. But they were gone. Jose spun around wildly, the beam of his flashlight finally landing on a shadow in the corner. It was a man without a head. Jose tried to shut his eyes, but it was as if they were glued open. The longer Jose stared, the more the shadow took on a different form. Red glowing eyes, a shaggy, inhuman head. Horns grew from a wild mane of hair, and hands became hooves. He needed to get out of there fast. Jose prayed, backing himself as far away from the wicked creature as possible. He asked for Jesus, for Mary, for anyone to help him. He could hear the demon's laughter. It filled his ears and drowned out any other noise. The creature advanced slowly, its red eyes glowing in the beam of the flashlight. Jose looked away, listening to the clack of its hooves as it came for him. Jose was shouting his prayers now, asking for anyone to save him. But the creature was upon him. A heavy pressure filled his chest. He knew his heart was sure to burst. The demon's red eyes filled his vision as his mind was tortured with anger and hatred. Jose lost consciousness then. His body shut down with fear and exhaustion. He was found the next morning by his workers. His face contorted into a scream. He died in the same manner as the Muisca people, who were the first victims of Tegendama. Last words used up, calling out to a god who couldn't save him. You've heard of Tegendama. All your friends who visited Bogota insist you go. It's not that far away. It's a little under an hour. If not for the beauty of the falls, you should go for the stories. You eventually agree. They were right. The falls are beautiful. The smell takes a little getting used to, but nothing beats the tranquility of the spot. Just the constant rushing of water, the gentle breeze, you try to ignore the signs near the edge, the Virgin Mary statue, but your mind can't help imagine all the lives taken on this spot. The tour guide says the last one was just a month ago. You try not to look down. It's a long way down. You avert your eyes from the river below to the gigantic mansion in the distance. It's beautiful, newly painted, recently renovated. The tour guide says it's a museum now. The Hotel del Salto del Tecandama is now the Casa Museo del Salto del Tecandama. They're trying to preserve the history, to clean up the river and falls. 
the tour guide asks you if you want to go over and take a look. You agree. The mansion is much bigger than you originally thought from a distance. You count five stories. You head to the balcony adjacent the mansion so you can take some nice exterior shots of the French architecture. You pause. Did you hear something? You look out toward the falls. Take Indama. The word feels nice to say. It was probably the water or the wind. You see something out of the corner of your eye in the first floor window. Probably just one of the caretakers. You ignore the nagging feeling that someone's watching you. Instead, you move closer to the edge of the balcony. Something is pulling you there. Your tour guide appears. Did you ever hear the stories about the Muisca? He asks. You shake your head. You'd wish he'd leave you alone. You snap some more pictures as he drones on about some legend. What? You look at the fifth floor window, then back down at your camera. It looks like a woman was standing there. Probably just one of the museum patrons. Your tour guide wanders off. You go back to the balcony edge. A melancholy feeling overwhelms you. You look down. It's not so far. That's what the voice says. It sounds different from the one in your head. It sounds nice, gentle. You lean over the balcony. The voice reminds you of all the pain in your life. Things have been so hard lately. This trip was really just an escape from all the horrible things going on in your real life, wasn't it? On second thought, it doesn't have to be you, the voice says. It's more than one voice, though. You can hear it now. It's many voices that sound like one. You can choose someone else instead, they tell you. You look behind you at the approaching tour guide. Him, the voices say. It's time to go, the guide says. You say you're not ready. But your voice doesn't sound like you anymore. You lead him over to the edge. Isn't it beautiful, you say. He agrees leaning over the balcony to look at the river below. Do it now, the voices whisper. They sound angry. The calming tone is gone. You put your hands on his shoulders and push. Not hard enough. He turns around with confusion on his face that is quickly replaced with fear. What are you doing? He yells at you, pushing you off. Find another guide, he says, storming off to his car. The voices hiss at you. If not him, it's you, they say. Fear floods your system as you scan the crowd for someone else to take your place. A young man approaches with a shy smile on his face. You wait until he leans over the edge. No one's looking. Do it! The voices are screaming in your head. You put a hard hand on his back and shove. 
He turns around and sees you as he falls. Scrambling for something to hold on to, he grabs at the air, hooking a hand on the strap of your camera. You try to hold your ground, but you're dragged forward. You're over the edge, sailing through the air with him. He's screaming. You hear the people above screaming too, but the loudest voice is the whispers in your head. They're excited. They've got you. The Hotel del Salto and the surrounding Tecendama Falls is a tragic place. Whether you believe in the ghosts of those who have perished over the cliffside or not, it's important to respect a place like this. What was once a mansion, then a hotel, then an abandoned building, is now a museum with nature exhibits in the hopes of attracting attention to the problem of the polluted Bogota River. Yet the truth of the situation is that the Hotel del Salto and the Tecendama Falls is more than just a tourist attraction. It's the final resting place of many tortured souls. So if you choose to visit, please be respectful. You never know when you'll become one of them. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. A new episode comes out every Thursday. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Many of you have asked how to help the show. And if you enjoy Haunted Places, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Margot Perkins. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>